Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, it's 1140 The Bet, Las Vegas, and right now we're going to switch things up because, number one, I'm tired of talking about all the terrible things going on in the world. Number two, the NBA playoffs have been nothing but blowouts and it's about to be the Celtics and Warriors in the finals, which is disgusting, which leads me to number three. I don't really need a reason to talk hip-hop, especially when we're talking about the one and only Christopher Wallace. So with that being said, I'd like to welcome Justin Tinsley. You know, you might have seen or read his work as the senior sports and culture writer at ESPN and, you know, this show called Around the Horn. He's also an author who just dropped a new biography on Biggie called It Was All a Dream, Biggie in the World That Made Him. Justin, thank you so much for the time. And how are you doing, man? Man, thank you so much, man. Vegas. I, I love Vegas, one of my favorite cities, and I get to talk about big while talking to the people of Vegas. Like I, I, I can't be more honored and I can't be more excited about this. No, hundred percent and I hope to see you here in Summer League in July. But as we kick Ooh, things you off know, you know I'm making plans. <laughs> <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. And as we kick things off, uh, you know, I don't want to detour away from big, but just real quick, since it's just dropped, uh, I want to get your thoughts on the Kendrick album, man, and like where does it stack up for you and, and what'd you think? Man, like, you know, all of Kendrick's albums are heavy in their own way. And obviously, I think before this, uh, To Pimp a Butterfly being the heaviest of them all, in terms of just, like, I really need to, like, sit down and, like, listen to Kendrick, at least on the first couple of times. And, like, I treat it, I treat it like how my grandmother used to go to church. She would, like, she would have the lyrics to the songs, and she would follow along with the choir. That's how I kind of <laughs> am with Kendrick. Like, I got to... I got to read the lyrics as he's rapping them because if I just straight listen to him, I'm going to miss something. And that, that's a beautiful part about his music. And that's what I respect. And it, it's definitely like this for, uh, you know, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Uh, it's a diff- It was a different album than I was expecting. I didn't really know what to expect, but it was a different album uh, than his previous ones. I think it's a very heavy album. I think it's a very, very uh, inward looking project to somebody who I think over the last decade at least decade of his life he's really felt the weight of being like this 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 leader you know oh you know, I resurrecting the west the he's the he's the yeah, next dude yeah. out the west yeah and i mean he really was and he still is and i think he felt the weight of that because 
being a leader I, in so many ways, even if we don't intend intend to afford to be like this, he felt like a level of like perfection and expectations that, you know, when you listen to the album, he's just not that guy. And he was like, don't look to me to be your savior. And I think that's what a lot of this album was about. And, and, and it was very powerful for me to hear that um, from from an artist and, and especially from an artist of, of Kendrick's caliber. Uh, where it stacks in amongst, you know, his catalog, I think the beautiful thing about Kendrick's catalog is like I, I, I treat. I treat Kendrick's catalog a lot like I treat like my favorite book. I, I have it tattooed on me as well. It's Malcolm, X, Malcolm X's autobiography. It's like when you listen to certain albums at certain periods of your life, they're going to sound different and they're going to hit you in a different way. So at this point, I, me personally, I still have uh, Good Kid, Mad City as his best album. Um, that you know that could change over the years, but I, I still feel confident saying my favorite project from him was Good Kid, Mad City, but what I appreciated about this most recent album is just like, it's a, it's an album littered with imperfections. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is from Tupac Shakur, where he was like, yo, imperfection is inherited, therefore we all sin, but, but we all die in the end, no matter how hard we fight. And I think that quote from Tupac really describes like this most recent Kendrick album. No, 100%. And I, let me throw this at you and see if you agree or not. I think okay. in terms of, you know, big superstars right now, I think this album that just came out is the most uncomfortable, and I don't mean uncomfortable yeah. in a negative way. I kind of mean it like, yo, this ain't an Avengers movie filled with action, like you got to pay attention, I guess, is what I mean with uncomfortable. It was the most uncomfortable release since Kanye released Yeezus, and it's completely different, because to mm-hmm. me, Yeezus, the reason why I was so uncomfortable is because some of the sounds and like some of the beats and like the techno and super aggressive, whereas Kendrick... Yeah. The, the you know the beats were classic and you have alchemists sure. and everyone making that but the conversation and some of the subject matter and just the thought process and him telling me like yeah i may be the best rapper alive but i'm not your savior like you said like you yeah. agree with me with what i'm saying with that yeah no no I, I totally agree and it's funny because one of my best friends was in town uh last weekend and and we were talking about just what the value of therapy has brought to our lives and like, you know, oh, 100%. Our, our friendships, our relationships. And he was like, yo, Tins, like you, you, one of my best friends in the world. I, I like, I trust you with my life like a hundred times over, but there's still things that I've told my therapist that I will never tell you. And I was like, yo, I feel the same way because like, I don't <laughs> want to burden people with certain things. And I say all that to say, like when you listen to this album, it really feels like when you really listen to what he's saying, it really feels like we're a fly on the wall when he's talking to his therapist. Yeah. And he was like, you know, like uh, Auntie Diaries and, you know, the song about his pops, the song about his mom, uh, like that, that, admitting that, you know, he stepped out on his wife and, you know, just all the imperfections in his life. And that some of which were caused by him, some of which were like generationally passed down. Like it, it, it's yeah, it's a very uncomfortable album to listen to. But, but when we have these conversations around like mental health awareness, I, I think this album is is a is a uh, representation is a representation of that in so many ways. Like this is a guy basically saying like, "Yo, I'm I'm not okay a lot of times, and here's why I'm not okay." Even though you expect me to be like this guy who can somehow, you know you know, find perfection in a life full of, like, imperfections. 
Yeah, 100%. We're talking to Justin Tinsley uh, of ESPN. Be sure to hit him up on Twitter, too, and follow him at Justin Tinsley. And from one goat to another, uh, let's get on to this conversation about this book. And once again, uh, the biography on Biggie, it's called It Was All a Dream, Biggie and the World That Made Him. And pardon me, because I feel like you've gotten this question a lot, but I kind of want you to talk me through the process of you going, okay, I've been approached and you want me to write about one of the greatest rappers ever. There's already been books about him. He's got his own movie. I think FX did a show about him and Tupac. Like, yeah. how how did you come to find the angle on the book? And kind of, did you have to battle through trepidation or just like, yo, what's my angle? People are going to double check because this is Biggie. Like, I can't, I have to come correct with this. Like, what was that process? Bro, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um you- you know, once I signed the contract and, you know, for those who might not be familiar with the book publishing world, you get, you sign a contract and you get money. You get half of it up front and then you get the other half once you submit the manuscript and the publisher, you know, accepts it. So at first they gave me my money up front, the, the first half. And I'm like, damn, this is like the biggest check that I've ever gotten, at least at one time. We love to hear cool. it. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, and you love to hear it, you know, but, you know, I had bills I had to pay. I had things I had to pay off. And then, you know, I booked some travel that I wanted to do for, uh, you know, re- reporting for the book, whether it was in, like, Brooklyn and Atlanta where he had ties, L.A. where he had ties, Chicago. And I booked all that in, like, like late February 2020. I think you know what happens in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, after that. Like, the world literally shuts down, and so I had to do all that. So I had to do the entire book basically in quarantine, like reporting, research, interviews. Like I, this entire book, I never did one interview in person. Like all of it was via Zoom or via FaceTime or via phone. That's nuts. You know, that you know it, it's nuts, especially because you think for for a person who was like so in your face, like people could reach out and touch him, like Biggie Smalls. The, the fact that I couldn't look people in the eye face to face. Uh, to do this book, it was daunting. And like you said, man, like, it was scary, bro. Like, what the hell do I tell uh, people about Biggie that they don't already know? As as you just uh, uh, alluded to, like, there, there's been so many projects produced on him. And, like, in the spring 2020, man, I was going through it. I was like, dog, what have I gotten myself into? Like, I've uh, I've already spent the money that they gave me, so I can't get the money back. And like, <laughs> so I gotta do the book. Like, what the hell? What the hell? What the hell do I do? And you know, credit to credit to my wife, credit to like my my close friends. Like, they they really you know help ease that anxiety because you know I battle anxiety much like uh, a, a lot of other people do. And it, it really hit me. It was like, all right, of course you got to do the biography of Big from life to death to legacy and things of that nature. But I've always been interested in you know, contextualizing so many things. Like, what was going on when Biggie was making these decisions in the world? Hence the title, Biggie in the World That Made Him. So while it's going to be a biography, I wanted to do a sociopolitical, sociocultural, socioeconomical examination of the world and why Biggie was forced to make these decisions or walk down these paths that he did. Because none of our lives are ever lived in a vacuum. Where some of our experiences, where some of, the, the, the neighborhood that raised us, the, 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 the city that raised us, the town that raised us, and, you know, the, the government that passes legislation, excuse me, legislation or lack thereof, and how we operate in those worlds. And so 
when I looked at the book, I figured, I was like, all right, I can really humanize Biggie Smalls, but really humanize Christopher Wallace if I really paint a vivid picture of what the world looks like in, in 1969 or 70, when Biggie wasn't even born yet, but, uh, but President Richard Nixon declares against the advice of his own commission that says, you know, people who are addicted to drugs, we need to get them rehabilitation. We don't need to penalize them. But Richard Nixon says, like, nah, let's penalize them because we can make a lot of money off of that. And then, you know, we, we, we got to talk about Caribbean migration to, to New York City, which completely changed how New York looked. And that 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 changed that that in, that that forced like lawmakers and like policymakers to strip resources out of these neighborhoods, like cultural resources. And that led to the crack epidemic. So it's like, yeah, if we want to talk about Biggie sold some drugs, that's cool. But like, why were he? And so many other like young black men and women, and not even just young black men and women, like young black men, men and women, young brown men and women, you know, across the country. Why were they forced to make these decisions? Like nobody just wakes up in the morning and be like, eh, I want to be a drug dealer because that sounds cool. Like, no, they did it because they felt like they had no other options. And here's why they had no other options. So I figured if I could paint that picture in the book, it would really like, like, paint a picture of Christopher Wallace's life that hasn't been done before. And I'm just so honored and so blessed and so grateful that like so many people understood that vision that, you know, people are telling me like, yo, I've never looked at Biggie's life in a way that you painted it in this book. And I don't take that for granted one second at all. No, that's that's incredible. Like we we talking about one of the greats. So like I said at the beginning, we appreciate you. And you kind of touched on, the, the process of in your head, you're like, all right, I'm going to go to L.A., I'm going to go to New York, I'm going to go to Atlanta, like everywhere Biggie was at, I'm going to be at. And then the world shuts yep. down. And kind of talk to me, was it more beneficial in terms of like, you're like, okay, well, I'm stuck at home, so my research is going to be on point. And then I guess, you know, reaching reaching out to people, was there someone that you, you weren't able to connect with that you wanted for the book? Or who was the most open or enjoyable to talk about in, in terms of getting research and, and quotes for the book and information? Yeah. Okay. Well, for one, uh, I love, I'm like a research nerd. Like I love going through like archives of like, uh, newspapers and you know what I mean? Like television stations. Like I love finding like this random obscure, let's just say New York times article from 1974 that talked about, you know, the rise of drug cases in Brooklyn, New York, in particular, the Bed-Stuy neighborhood, which is where Biggie grew up. Like it, like I could find, it could be like a two thousand word article, but if it's if it's a sentence that helps me paint paint the picture, I love going to look for it. So research, I was always going to do a bunch of research for the book. And shout out to my man Randall Williams, who is now at a uh, boardroom Kevin Durant's company, but he helped me a lot early on with my research for this book. So I I'd be remiss to say if I don't mention him. Uh, so that that was always going to be there. Thankfully, like a lot of these places where Big had ties and where I've either been there a lot or I lived there. Like I lived in Chicago for a little bit. I lived in L.A. for a little over a year. So I knew like the culture of the city. I knew the feel. And I always wanted to give the reader like that context of like what it smelled like, what it felt like, what it looked like at that point. So and I I had a bunch of friends in all those cities. So like I would call some of my homeboys, uh, some of my homegirls up and be like, yo, you got any uncles that lived in? let's just say L.A. in the 80s or New York in the 80s, because I really want a, a a detailed description of, like, you know, what, you know, this na- neighborhood in L.A. felt like or this neighborhood in New York felt like. And so they helped me out a lot. 
And, uh, yeah, but being in quarantine, bro, like I was working on like three major projects at once. I was working on, on this, on this book in particular, I was working on, uh, with Dwayne Wade on his photographic memoir that came out last year. And I was working on a, a Nipsey Hustle 30 for 30 that came out last year. Uh, Salute you for that, by the way. I, I didn't mention that at the yeah. beginning. My fault. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Yeah. It's like I was, I was working on all of those at once. So being in quarantine in a way helped me like really focus on like, all right, on this day, I'm going to focus on the D-Wade project. On this day, I'm going to really focus on the Nipsey project. On this day, I'm going to focus on the Big book. So because like we were in quarantine, I couldn't go anywhere. Like I couldn't go to happy hour. You know what I'm right. saying? Like I was stuck. I was stuck in the house. So yeah, it it sucked because I couldn't go anywhere. But uh, and I, I want to make sure I'm definitely respectful when I say this because like quarantine and definitely 2020 in particular, like it it it, it ruined so many lives and it changed so many lives. Mine in particular too. But uh, in terms of the work that I had to do. Like not being able to go anywhere, it really just helped me focus on what needed to get done. Because if I put my name on any project, bro, like it, it's it's going to be to the best of my ability. I'm not going to uh, shortchange anything with my name on it. Because at the end of the day, like my name is my name. You know, not not to quote like a Pusha T album title or you know Marlo from The Wire, but like <laughs> I, I, I value what I put my name on, and I w- I want my name. To be associated with like dope stuff. No, hundred percent. That's facts only. By the way, Pusha T's new album, phenomenal. Um, and look, I, I might get when this airs, I might get beat up because I, I am here in the West Coast. Um, but I, I know I, I did my research, and I know everyone's obviously going to go straight to yo. Can you tell me a story about Biggie and Tupac and and all that? Yeah. But look, I, I, there's Nas, there's Jay Z, there's Big L, there's Big yeah. Pun. May they rest in peace, Big L and Big Pun in particular. Um, but in in terms of stories from some of these other artists, whether it's, you know, being surprised that Biggie was such a fan of theirs or just a cool interaction between the two with, with one of these artists, that's not Tupac. Like what was your favorite story that you heard? So I spoke to, uh, this young lady who lived in Brooklyn, uh, around the time for like 92, maybe like late 91, 92, early 93, uh, she lived in a Brooklyn brownstone, probably not too far from where Biggie grew up. Well, not not probably not too far, but not too far from where Biggie grew up on St. James Place in Fulton Street uh, in Brooklyn. And so Biggie would always come over to, you know, that brownstone because uh, so many people lived in that brownstone, in particular, Maddie C., who was the guy who, who wrote uh, for the source at the time. And he wrote the unsigned height column on Big, which basically blew Big up. You know, like Maddie C is so instrumental into into big success. But, you know, Big got a chance to know everybody who was living in the brownstone and, and, and you know, in that neighborhood. And that young lady, she um, she was working in the music industry as well. And she would tell me, like, yo, Big loved listening to everything by everybody. Like, so I have two stories for you. And so Maddie, so I, I'll, get, I'll get back to her for a second. But Maddie C told me a story about how, you know, he would call Big over because he would always get advanced copies of albums, you know, months before they came out. This is yeah. not like the Internet where you can listen to something instantly. You know what I mean? Just go straight to SoundCloud. Exactly. It don't, it don't go straight to SoundCloud. It don't go straight to Apple Music or Tidal or Spotify. Like, you really had to wait for an album. So 
for the generation of music fans that don't know what this is about, this this is how listening to music actually was back in the day. <laughs> so Maddie C would get all of the music first. And he remembered he told me the story one day in particular. So Big was his his, his demo tape was out and you know, around like, like neighborhoods in New York City, like his name was really starting to bubble. He was nowhere near the star that he eventually became. But he called Big, and he was like, Big, come over here. I got an album I need you to listen to. It's, it's going to, like, mess you up. The album was Dr. Dre's The Chronic. Mm. And so The Chronic came out in December 1992. I believe Dre, not Dre, um, Maddie C got the advanced copy around, like, late August, maybe, like, September 1992. And so they're over at the apartment. You know, they're smoking. They're listening to music. And... Maddie C tells this incredible story of how like big just like his jaw drops when he hears like the album and he hears like the instrumentation he hears like the attention to detail he hears like the it, it sounds like a hip hop symphony on there he was like wait this is about to come out and he's like wait this is what like <laughs> rap is going to sound like he was like bruh like if this is what I have to compete with, I got to go back. I got to step my game up. They're going to go back to the lab. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Like, like Big Ash the Blunt. Like, if Big Ash the Blunt, then that's how you know he was serious. (laughs) He was like, bro, if this is what rap is going to sound like, I need to go step my game up. And and Big is as confident an MC as you're ever going to meet in rap. And he was like, this this is what I got to compete with? This is what I'm trying to compete with? Oh, I got to step my game up. And so he was like, he left the Brownstone and he was like, he went back to his apartment and started working on music and started writing stuff down because the chronic blew his mind. And I, and, and it's, it's for good reason. I, I I think the chronic is one of those albums that, you know, it, it will stand eternity. Like, like the chronic will sound brand new a hundred years from now, you know? In I mean, at the Super Bowl it sounded brand new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, like, imagine, like, a young Christopher Wallace hearing that. So he, he really loved the chronic. I mean, and this is one thing I want, I want to point out, too. Like, the whole East Coast, West Coast thing, and I understand how that happened and how it played out. Uh, one thing that isn't talked about enough is just how much Big was a fan of the West Coast. I told you that story about, um, you know, the chronic, like, you know, he's got an album, he's got a line on, on Life at the Devil. He's like, I'm trying to figure out how to sell records like Snoop. Like, he loved Dark yeah. Style. And one of his personal favorite albums of all time, because a young lady who I, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she's quoted in the book. She, she talks about how, like, Big would come over to the Brownstone and the one album he would want to listen to every time, like, they, they partied or they had a kickback was Two Shorts, Freaky Tales. And he loved that album. Like, he loved it. And to the point where he knew every line of that album. Like, he could rap Two Shorts, Freaky, ta- Freaky Tales, almost better than Two Short could. Like, that. Yeah, that's how much he was. Like, he loved UGK, what they were doing down in, in Texas. Like, he loved Outkast. He listened to Southern Playlistic a lot while he was recording Ready to Die. Like, like this dude was a fan. It's amazing to think about. It's amazing to think about. So. Yeah, so uh, that those are like two non like Tupac stories, and um, if I could say one thing about Tupac, no, hundred uh, percent for sure. And um, thank you for the you time, know, by the way. No, 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 man. Thank, thank you for making the time. Like I, I it's, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for real. I'm truly grateful. Thank you. And 
You know, so much, like, over the years, man, has been made of Biggie and Tupac being, like, oh, rap beef and diss records. And, you know, they died in, like, very tragic manners. Both, you know, all of which is is important to the story, right? Because that actually happened. Like, there's no way to say that. But I think over the, at least the last quarter century, in a lot of ways, man, they've been reduced to that. Like, that's all they had. Like... And one thing I wanted to do in particular with the book was to show that, like, yo, big, like Tupac's legacy, aside from Biggie, is is incredibly strong. Like, the, the, he's worthy of being talked about in his own regard. And the same with Biggie, separate of Tupac. But when we talk about them together, because we have to talk about them together, right? It, it, they're linked forever. Like, there's no denying that. But I wanted to showcase just how deep, how genuine, and, and how and how intense their friendship was. Like. These guys were like really, really, really good friends, man. Like they they respected each other to like no end. And I wanted to hammer that home in the book because of course you gotta get to the part where they eventually fall out. But like if I'm gonna talk about their falling out and their beef, I wanted to talk about their friendship just as much, if not more, because I feel like that's kind of been, you know, thrown under thrown under the bus or lost in the radar since then because if we if we just if we shortchange them to just the negative parts of their relationship then then we strip them of their humanity no 100% and i think they're they they're they're very their friendship was their friendship was so important which makes the falling out that much more tragic is what i'm basically trying to say yeah, and we got to talk about both sides of the coin, and I, I wanted to do that in the book. And you know, just from what I've heard, uh, you know, people are pleased about how I did that, and that 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 definitely, you know, that make that makes me happy. For real. No, hundred percent, because like <laughs> whether you know it now or not, or it's crazy to think about, especially since it just released. Like this book is now history, and it kind of documents the history, and that, that's one of the. It, it hits me with Biggie a lot. I remember. Uh, Quest Love was on the Wanet podcast, I, I believe, and they asked him about Biggie and how Biggie loved The Roots, right? But yeah. The Roots came out in one of their albums that I'm blanking on, basically kind of making fun of Diddy and, you know, all the money and the cars, yeah. the clothes and yeah. everything. And yeah. first off, Biggie was hurt because he's like, yo, <laughs> I messed with you guys. And they never yeah. got a chance to. And I, I believe, if, if I'm correct, Quest, he, he wrote something for The Source kind of trying to calm things down, but by then it was too late. So, yeah. and that's the yeah. unfortunate part, whether it's Tupac, whether, you know, some of these beefs that when something happens suddenly, like there ain't no time to make things right. So it's super yeah. important that you documented that side and not, you know, the beef and stuff that we love that because we can make a movie. We could talk about that. That's a, sure. that's a headline, but the history and what led up to that, is super important. And once again, Justin, I want to thank you for the time. Do you have a couple more minutes? Because I know we've gone long. I didn't expect to be this uh, yeah, long yeah, with you. No, look, let's do it. Let's do it, man. I got some time. All right, let's ride. Um, the one thing I want to ask you, and I've been fortunate enough, now I'm doing sports radio and I was in hip-hop and, and hip hop radio, and I was able you know, to interview, I've been able to interview big names. Now, none on my bucket list. And, and the thing I always ask myself is, you know, if I get a chance to interview Kendrick Lamar, I really, really love Tyler, yeah. the creator, for just everything that he stands for in yeah. his music and stuff like that. And these are dudes that I've really wanted to interview. And then I think to myself, like, 
yeah, but what am I going to ask them? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'd ask them. So I, w- I want to flip it to you in this scenario of what if, like, if you got a chance to sit down with Big, what would you ask him? Ooh. See, I got you stumped. Thank that, you. That is, that, is a, that is a really good question, man. Wow. That is a, man, there's so many. But, you know, that's a really good question. And, you know, we were just talking about, like, Big E and, and Pac. And the, the wild thing about talking about them is, and I think this gets lost a lot, and I, we all know it because we understand the facts and the, the, the facts of the situation. But like, bro, they were so young. Like, like Tupac was twenty five when he died. Big was twenty four. So and crazy. Nobody has the world figured out at like twenty five and twenty four, right? Hell, I'm thirty six. I don't have the world figured out right now. Um, but one thing I would ask him is like, because you know the, the reality of things is that it, it, the thing about time is we always think we have more of it. You know what I'm saying? Like which is, you know, it, it's that that's very harrowing in a sense. I would ask him, you know, when when Pac was saying, and, and I would ask Pac the same thing too, but, it was, but since your question is about big, I would just ask him, like, yo, why didn't you and Pac just find a way to reach out to each other and be like, yo, let's just meet up, me and you, let's just, you got questions. I got questions. You got answers. I got answers. We need to talk. Like, yeah. yeah, we need to talk. Just me and you. Because I think if they could have talked, if they could have talked, this thing would have been over. You know what I mean? It it it, it would have never got to the point where, where it did. Um, like, because the thing about Big was like, yo, if I can just talk to the dude, then, you know, because that was my man. Like, they were like, they were like super close, and he was like, "Yo, we went through like real life situations together, and like, well, we he knows me, he know he knows my family, I know his family, and all that." Like, I, I would just ask him, "Was like, yo, why didn't y'all just take the time to just like, yo, I hear what you're saying, I don't like what you're saying, but like, yo, can we talk and just iron this out? And if we can't iron it out, at least at least hear where I'm coming from, and I'll hear where you coming from." And if we can just agree to just be like, yo, let's just dead this. We ain't got to be friends no more than that. So I, I would just, I would ask him that, you know, like, um, because when Pac died, like Big was hurt. But, you know, I, 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 contrary to what, you know, a lot of people say, man, like Big was hurt. Like that was a guy that he, they they had a lot, like I said just, just a few seconds ago, they had a lot of real life connections uh, and a lot of real life experiences together. And like they loved each other. Like, there was a deep love there between Biggie and Tupac before everything went haywire. And I would just ask him, man, like, yeah, I understand things were thick in 96, and I understand a lot of things were being said, but, like, did you ever think about, like, yo, let's just meet in Chicago. Let's just meet somewhere on a neutral site, just me and you, like, and let's talk about this. And why, and, and if you did, like, why didn't you do it? I yeah. guess, you know what I mean? But it's that that's a really good question though. No, nah, thank you. And I honestly I appreciate your uh your maturity, uh, because I just would have been like, you know, meth washed your ass on that album, right? Um <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. Big big knew that too. Big, like, man, you might have got me on that. It's like it's, 
Big was as confident as they came, but you talk about the what? Like, oh man, like there's a real cool story uh, about. Well, I, don't, I don't know if "cool" is the right word, but when people read the book, there's a really like fascinating story about Big performing the what in North Carolina and bringing uh, Method Man out, and you know, <laughs> oh, that's wild. Yeah, and I mean, I don't want to ruin it, but if you want me to tell it, I will. But listen, um, before you tell it, hold on, wait a second. Uh, it was all a dream, Biggie and the world that made him. Available now, author Justin Tinsley joins us here on 1140 The Bet. Uh, you can even hear it, you know what I mean, the yeah. audio book. Be sure to go get that, all right? And if you are going to go get that like I need to, uh, just tune out for like a minute so we can tell this story. And Okay, we're good now. There's the PSA. We straight. <laughs> all right, bet. bet. So, you know, people stop listening now. Like, no, the, the Biggie and Method Man story is fascinating because uh, I speak to a guy in the book. His name is Greg Dent. And he was a party promoter in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, in like the 90s. And he met Big in the early 90s when Big was down in North Carolina hustling. Like this is before he became a rap star. But in like 95 or so, Big is back in Raleigh on, a, on like a showstop, a, a tour date. And he's performing at this club called the Taj Mahal. And, you know, like Big was excited because he it was kind of like a homecoming for him, right? You know, he spent a lot of time down there. He made a lot of money down there. And, and so he's performing at the Taj Mahal, but there's these guys like in the front row that are basically like talking junk to Big. And you know, like the guys from the city was like, "Oh man, this is Big Star in town. We gotta press him." And not knowing that like Big knew Raleigh, yeah, and, uh, they were like, "Like, oh man, we could beat you in a freestyle battle." X Imagine trying to challenge Biggie Smalls in a freestyle <laughs> battle at his own show, <laughs> which is wild, right? Yeah, you know, it's like walking up to like. Kobe or LeBron be like, I could beat you one-on-one while they're actually playing in a game. Petey Pablo um, was wilding out that night. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just wild. Oh, man. Who are you oh, in my man. city? Anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's basically, that's basically what they were saying. And so Big was like, look, you're going to make me stop my show. But look, here's what I'm going to do. I'll bring you up on stage, and you can freestyle with me. But if I beat you, I'm going to emasculate you in your own city. You're going to have to walk out of here and nothing but like your socks and your boxes. I'm going to take all your clothes and, and, and like, I'm going to just, I'm going to just embarrass you. And so out of nowhere, when a dude tries to hop up on stage, like one of Biggie's man's like pistol whips him and the, basically a brawl starts. And so like, it's a big fight, you know, met the man and recounts this in an interview where he was like, yo, like it's a shootout. Like, you know what I mean? And and it was just big it was just Method Man and his homeboy there. But one of Biggie's man's was like, Yo, we got y'all, like just stay back here. We got y'all. And 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 that's one thing that always stood out to Method Man was just like, Yeah, he brought me here to get money, he brought us out to do this song, we was having a great time. But when things got like thick, when things got hairy, like like he looked out for me. And that, that always stuck with Method Man. And like, yeah, it, it that was the last show in the Taj Mahal. Like that that's what shut the Taj Mahal down was, you know, big <laughs> trying to get this dude on stage and next thing you know, a fight and a shootout happens in the club. And yeah, that so that that's a biggie and method man. There's more to the story, but I'll let people read it. I didn't want Yeah, yeah, want yeah. See, exactly. Stuff, but... We ain't trying to spoil everything. And and also yeah. I do appreciate the research. Like when you go on the rally and talking to promoters back then, that's incredible. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to yeah, ask you uh, one final question on the book, and then my boss uh, specifically said I have to ask you one NBA question. Uh, so we'll get to that. Yeah, sure. But um, with this one right here, I, w- I want you. I want to know. So you've been on Good Morning America, 
right, to yeah. promote this book. You've been on Sway in the Morning to promote the book. Yep. Uh, for Biggie's birthday, you were on the title panel with Elliot yep. Wilson as the host. Uh, Jay Z mentioned so on the on the uh, the graphic to get people to watch. Right, it says title panel for Biggie's 50th birthday. Elliot Wilson hosting Justin Tinsley next to Jay Z and Diddy and Fat Joe and everyone else who joined. Like out of those three. Or even just in general, what has been like the, the the dopest thing to you where you're like, hold on a second. I really just did that. Yeah. So uh, like those three that you mentioned, like, man, I, like, so I've been grateful for every conversation I've ever had on like uh, on this book. Like people want to talk to me about this. Like I'm going to jump on it. I'm going to do it. And like just the reaction has been crazy. But those three in particular, it was dope for like three different reasons, right? So Good Morning America, my grandmother knows Good Morning America. You know what I mean? Right. Like, of course. <laughs> so I told my mom and my grandma, like, I'm about to be on Good Morning America. They're like, oh, my God, you about to be interviewed by Michael Strahan and Robin Roberts? I'm like, nah, not exactly. But I'm going to be on Good Morning America. And it's still in 4K. And, you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah, it's still in 4K. And so, like, I was telling them for a week. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to be on there Thursday. And it's going to, not Thursday, Tuesday. It's going to air around, like, 1 p.m. Yo, you know they asked me at least like seventy five, a hundred times, like, "What day are you gonna be on there again?" Because I gotta tell all my friends, "What day are you gonna be on there again?" And so I was like, "Look, if y'all ask me one more time, I'm gonna purposely tell y'all the wrong day." But you know, so it was dope that they had that moment because they, you know, that was one of those type of mediums where they really understood, like, "Wow, this is this is a big deal." You know what I mean? Like, you're on, you're you're on Good Morning America. Like, I had a billboard in Times Square. Like they they understand Love to see it. To that. Sway and Sway in the morning just as like a hip hop head for all these years was just like whoa like I'm I'm like I got Sway coming up to me complimenting me on this book saying that like this is a dude who was as deeply entrenched in that era as anybody 100%. you know what I mean? he was like yo I'm learning things about this like so that was dope and to be on there with uh, Heather B who's a legend in her own right to be on there with like C J Wallace and for me to tell stories on there and CJ to be like, yo, I've never heard that story about my dad before. Like, I, like I'll never forget that moment. I'll never forget that. And the title in Twitter spaces, you know, like, like I said earlier, man, I, I need to add open for Jay-Z on my LinkedIn bio, man. Like I, I never, you know what I mean? Jay said he was going to read the book. Now that, that will he read the book? I don't know, but he said he would. And he, he name dropped me on there. And you know, Puff was like, you know what I mean? And Puff was like, yo, homeboy with the book. Like, like that. those, like, man, you talk about the last the last two weeks, man, have been not, nothing short of, like, fascinating and phenomenal, man. Like, I'm, I'm still, I still, it, it still trips me out that this is, like, real life. Nah, listen, that's, that's incredible. Like I said, before we started the interview, we love to see it, and, and it's good for you to get your roses uh, you know, while everything's happening and, and as it's going on, because this book, like you just said, it's been out for a couple weeks. I'm going to say it again. You could go get it now wherever you get your books. Um, it was all a dream, Biggie and the world that made him. And uh, I don't want to make my boss mad. So here's the uh, – nah, I feel just yeah, let's bad. Talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about the playoffs. I'll Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. 
You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. So these blowouts are kind of, they're killing my vibe. Um, But I need to ask you, I'm born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Okay. Right, and I'm a I'm a diehard Cavs fan. I was I was at the Gundarina when when it was Darius Miles and Dejon Wagner for five bucks, and then yep. we fast forward to 2015, 2016. I'm using my Pell Grant as I'm going to school in Florida to fly back for the finals and stuff. So I'm heavily invested in, in Cleveland and yep. my Cavaliers in particular. So with that being said, do I need to kind of you know give up my hate? And my rivalry with the Warriors because it's been so long, or do do I still keep it alive? I mean, look, I I, I am not going to sit here and tell you what to do with your fandom, but it, put it this way: if I'm a Cavs fan, and you know, I I, I that that 2016 Finals will always be one of the craziest sporting like series that I've ever seen in my life. Most important NBA point. championship of all time, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 was crazy, and I, like I, LeBron is my favorite player, and so that's another conversation for another time. But if I'm a Cavs fan, and I and, and and the way it looks right now, you know, crazier things have happened. Is like you said, it looks like it's going to be Warriors Celtics. I would rather see the Warriors win than the Celtics, just because the the history between the. Especially the Le, Le, uh, the LeBron related history between the Cavs and the Celtics, like that runs deep. But here's the thing, and I don't yeah. mean to cut you off. Here's the thing, though. Yeah. Boston fans in general, like in person, right? In person, they're very annoying, and there's a lot of them. And just watching their games, their home games, make me just very uncomfortable for reasons that we don't have to get into. But then the I Warriors, understand. on the flip side, granted, I'm here in Vegas, and like it's either you're either a Warriors or a Lakers fan for the most part out here. But yeah. the Warriors, you know, they ain't as braggadocious in person. But on Twitter, they're just oh, as loud. Man, yeah. Warriors Twitter yeah, no, is, no, is yeah. a little too much. So this is why it's so difficult for me. <laughs> yeah. Which, like, it, it's, 
I, I thought the, the crazy thing is I picked Miami in in six, which obviously is not going to happen now. Uh, the the best that could happen is Miami in seven, but it will be fascinating to see if that actually is the finals, right? If it actually is Golden State Boston, and you know the 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 fan base is not withstanding. You just talk about the actual teams. It will be interesting to see if Boston's defense can control Golden State's offense. And by that, I mean, like, Golden State has always been, at least for the last decade, has been like an, an, an offensive juggernaut, right? 100%, free-flowing. iterations and fashion, whether it was just the young Steph Clay and Draymond, and then they added uh, KD, and then now it's kind of like this current version where they, they're getting the best out of Andrew Wiggins. Like, Jordan Poole is playing his way into a huge contract. Yeah. Minga is a great asset off the bench. Like, they – they're deep now. They're deeper now than they've ever been, and to the fact where like Andre Iguodala doesn't even have to play anymore. So it will be interesting to see if that if that Boston defense, which is it, which is everything that is built to be, if they can put enough bodies on enough shooters. Because what I think Boston, what I think Golden State would do, and they, and this is if it's the finals. I'm not guaranteeing. Well, I'm. Nobody's ever come back from 03, and I, I don't think Dallas is going to come back from 03 on this Mavs team, on this uh, on this uh, uh, Warriors team. It would be interesting to see what they do with Draymond on Jason Tatum, or would they put uh, Wiggins on on Jason Tatum because Wiggins is guarding uh, Luca at this point. Now, granted, Luca is still getting his points, but he's having to work for him. So, it, it, if you're a Cavs fan, that's probably the worst. That's the worst possible finals. Um, it really is, it man. Will, from, from an X's and O's standpoint, it's actually quite fascinating. No, 100%. I think Ime Udoka is, is a great coach. Uh, I think he's done an incredible, incredible job with this team. Uh, Jason Tatum is making that turn. and It's crazy to believe that Jason Tatum is already a veteran in the NBA, and he's only, what, 24? <laughs> he's been in the uh, league for six, seven years already. <laughs> yeah, he's been in the league for so long, so... Uh, yeah, man, I, I I hate to break it to you, but it's really looking like that's going to be the finals. It, it, Miami could win these next two games, but the thing the thing with Miami is they need scoring when Jimmy Butler can't provide that for them. And uh, you know, Kyle Lowry, I know he's I know he's been battling injuries. He hasn't really provided that scoring punch. Uh, Bam had a great, what was that, game? Just game three, that's it. <laughs> yeah, game three, yeah. He had a great game three. You know, and uh, Jimmy Butler, I believe, is built for the moment, but I know he's battling injuries and he's trying. But uh, I will say this. I will say this, and I don't know anything. I don't have no insight about anything. At least not on this. I do have insight, but just not on this. Uh you saw Joel Embiid on Twitter last night, right? Uh, yes, I did. And you saw what he said, like, Miami needs another star. You don't think and, he's going to be uh, the one to move? Nah, you know, look, I'm not saying anything, but that Philadelphia, and I and I said this on Around the Horn, especially once Philly burned out the way that they did in that second round. <gasps> They're going to – I thought the Lakers were going to have the most interesting offseason in the NBA. It might be Philly, bro. It might be Philly because I don't see how Joel Embiid can be happy in the situation that he is right now. Like, this dude, for one, I don't know how he made second-team All-NBA. 
which is wild to me, and he led the league in scoring. But, you know, his prime years are being wasted right there. And you got to – like, if we're if we're feeling like this, and I'm not – I have no connection to Joel Embiid whatsoever, but it'll be really interesting to see how they win his confidence back because his confidence in that organization can't be, like, 100% right now. And it, it never is, like, when you lose in that fashion. But, like, he carried that team through an incredible season where it was just storyline after storyline after storyline. And then – the James Harden trade, it just did not work out in the way that they thought it would. But, like, is Philly going to offer James Harden a max contract? I hope really not. Want to pay a, <laughs> do you really want to pay a 37-year-old James Harden $60 million in the 26-27 season? I yeah. Mean, do you? I mean. But if you don't, then, you know, who are you going to get for Joel Embiid? Like, you're, you're – he's in the prime of his career right now. And, he, and you saw – what Jimmy Butler said after they beat Philly in in that second round, he was like, I miss playing with Joel. I miss him. Like, he's I love Miami, but I, I do miss him. Like, they love they, – they, there's a deep respect there. Look, I don't know anything about anything, but this is the NBA, man. Crazier things have happened. Well, and also – and you bring it up and, and you know, it's Pat Riley. If someone's going to finesse it yeah. and make it possible oh, – look, it's Pat. Yeah, Pat, especially now that, you know, Pat's getting older. So Pat's always swinging for the fences because he doesn't know how many times, you know, how many more at-bats he has. Although I didn't think ever that Joel would be the one to leave. But that may, like you just said, it's the NBA. And I've been, people have been talking to me crazy around here. And not that, you know, it does sound a little bit crazy. But I was like, I'm not, I will not be surprised within the next two years if Jimmy Butler's not on Miami. Uh, part of that is I think Pat Riley will swing for the fence if he feels like there's a different player. And, you know, obviously they had that squabble with Spolstra towards the end of the season. Yeah. But I just think that Miami's kind of cutthroat. And, you know, Jimmy runs into problems. And Eric Spolstra is very rigid. And some people don't like that rigidity and things like that. And, you know, people call me nuts. And we'll see. But Joel to Miami? That sounds crazy. But it is possible. So I give you credit for that. Uh, and I'm gonna keep my eye out on that because that that actually that might be a solution. And Pat Riley's crazy enough to try it. Um, my last question before we get you out of here, and I did not expect for us to talk for damn near 50 minutes. This is about to become a podcast on its own. I love to right, exactly. I love to hear it. Uh, and again, Justin, thank you so much for the time. Uh, my final question is around the horn, right? So when you guys are doing it. How do you keep track, or do you keep track? Like, I'm a huge wrestling fan, so you might break some news to me, but how do you keep track of the scoring and everyone else and everything? Like, how does that work? Well, see, the, the, the scoring is all up to Tony Reality. So, so when people ask me, like, what is, you know, what's the scoring metric system there? The scoring metric system is Tony Reality. And it's, it's just whatever he feels like uh, yeah, but who made the best points on a certain topic. But – you're asking me, do I keep up with everybody else's points? Well, no, I'm saying, like, do you, when you're doing your, like, do you see your points going up as you're talking, or can you keep track oh, yeah, of everyone yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. so, like, it's it's really me sitting in a room by myself looking at, like, a, a teleprompter or a screen. Yeah. And it's, so, like, what you see on TV is really, like, what I see. When you see the four boxes with the four faces, and um, sometimes it'll be just me on there talking or – a, a solo a solo shot or maybe it's like a side by side so like whatever you see on tv 
is what I see on my screen when I'm talking. So I'm very aware of, you know, who's in the lead and who got what, who, who, who made what point at certain times. So like, yeah, that, that, uh, that I'm very well aware of. All right. That is, that is good to know. You see, see when you are one of the most iconic sports shows ever, you know, try to get a little bit of insight. Uh, but one more time, Justin Tinsley, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, senior sports and culture writer at ESPN. We just talked about it. You can see him on Around the Horn. Uh, go check out his new book that I'm about to order from Amazon right now as we speak. It was all a dream, Biggie and the world that made him. And be sure to follow him on uh, Twitter as well, at Justin Tinsley. Justin, thank you so much for the time, man. We appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Appreciate y'all for having me on, man. I thoroughly enjoyed this convo. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.